in Numbers 21. Turn in your Bibles, if you would. If you don't have your own copy, there's a black one in the chair in front of you, and I'd invite you to turn to that one and grab it at page 131 in that black Bible in front of you. You'll want to follow along with us. We've been walking through the whole story of reality, but you, if you haven't been with us through all of that, uh, we're not going to catch you completely up today. You can do that on YouTube if you want. If you want to go to First Baptist Church, Denver City, you can watch some of those past uh, lessons. But we're walking all the way from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and we've covered several uh, books already. We're only on our fourth book. We're on numbers today. So if you think about uh, what's going on there, you can really describe uh, the whole story of reality in those first four books uh, with, uh, symbolically with four animals. And we're going to look at the fourth one today. Four animals. In the, in the book of Genesis, it's the sacrificial ram in Genesis 22 that takes the place of Isaac on Mount Moriah. In Exodus, it's the Passover lamb whose blood is sprinkled upon the door and the angel of death passes over. In Leviticus, it's the scapegoat where the sins of the people were placed on the goat and released into the wilderness. Today, Jesus is represented in all those animals, but today Jesus is represented in a snake on the stick. It's what we're talking about today. Now, how in the world, the snake being a symbol of evil, the snake being a symbol of um, rebellion against God, sin, how can that represent Jesus? Well, we're going to see. Okay, hang in there. Hang in there with us as we look at Numbers 21 in just a moment. But before we get there, I just want to share a picture with you. It kind of talks about, uh, or it doesn't talk about anything. I just, I just like this picture. It's a little, it's funny. You see that caption? It says, when it's school picture day, but you got to sell a 73 Cutlass Supreme at, at 345. My friend sent me that. that that's my era. of uh, That polyester suit. Well, I have a picture of me and my two brothers in polyester suits with our bowl haircuts. And I, I try to hide that underneath my desk. You think about what's going on. I, I, I show you that picture not just for the, the laughs of it. I think it's funny. But because that's what we think of when we think of a snake. A used car salesman or somebody like that. And we, we can't equate that with Jesus, but we're going to see. In fact, I'm just going to lay it out there for you now. We're going to see how he who knew no sin for our sake became sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And the snake on the stick is Jesus Christ on the cross representing our sin representing our evil, representing our rebellion against God. And that sin, that evil, that rebellion was crucified with Jesus Christ. That's the message of Easter. That's the message after Easter. That Jesus died for our sins. And so we're going to think about this story that goes back to the Old Testament. Now you think sometimes, I'm a, I'm a New Testament Christian, I'm a Jesus kind of Christian, and we are. But we got to remember that the the, Old Test the New Testament in the Old Testament is concealed. And the, the Old Testament and the New Testament is revealed. They go together. And we're going to see that clearly today in this situation. So in honor of the reading of God's holy word, I hope you have your copy there with you. Exodus, I mean Numbers 21, beginning with verse 4. Exodus 21, 4. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Context. The people of God have been wandering in the wilderness. 
It's an 11-day journey from Egypt where they've been released from slavery, been delivered from slavery. 11-day journey from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land. And you know how long it took them? 40 years. God's getting rid of the faithless. He's teaching them some lessons of faith in all of this. And so it's almost the end of that wandering. And here we see this situation. And the people of Israel set out from the Mount, Mount Hur, or Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and live and be healed. Oh, Father, how do you do it? How do you do the miraculous things you do? Even among a people who are so undeserving. Lord, not just those people then, but us people now. Thank you for the many blessings you provide, for the healing, for the salvation as we look, as we turn our eyes upon you. Lord, that's what we want to do right now. Teach us, Lord. Teach us not just for our, our own sake, not just for the depth of our own souls, but for the sakes of, of other folks, that we might help them as well. Help us see that now. In your holy and precious and powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, sometimes we think about this journey that the people of God were taking, and, and we can find ourselves easily in this journey. Sometimes we make a mess of our own lives and cannot adequately get out of that mess just by complaining against God, for sure. Even in this situation, we know that complaining brings about the judgment of God. But even in the midst of the judgment of God, there's still hope. There's still deliverance. There's still forgiveness. There's still healing. There's still salvation. And so it doesn't matter where you are or where you've been or what you've been doing. The Lord opens His arms wide and says, come home. Come back. Turn your eyes back upon me. And so as we look at this, I want you to see what difference a snake makes. One, I want you to see, if you've got a bulletin on the back of this, there's a, a little outline. That outline is mostly to keep me on track so that, that we're not here for hours and hours and hours because I could talk for hours and hours and hours about this stuff. And I don't know that you'll listen for hours and hours and hours, but I know that there's something God wants to teach us. And so as we line this up, let's think about it. What difference does a snake make? The first thing is this. We often forget the blessings of the Lord in tough times. And 
start complaining or we complain. You think about why they're in the wilderness in the first place still. It's because of those 12 spies that were sent out. You remember the, the situation. It's also in the book of Numbers, Numbers 13 through 14. And Moses sends them out to spy the promised land, and 12 of them are sent out, and only two do we really know their names, Jacob and Caleb. And they're the only two people in that whole generation that are going to enter into the promised land that they see. They come back with these clusters of grape. It takes two of them to carry. They're so big. And these pomegranates and these figs. And it's the land flowing with milk and honey. And they, they say, if God is for us, who can be against us, basically? Caleb and Joshua do, but the others begin to grumble. And they say, we're like grasshopper. We can't go there. We can't do that. And God says, okay, you don't think you can? You don't trust me to deliver you? Then you're not going. And all of your generation is going to die out in the wilderness. They put themselves in that wandering situation to begin with. And yet, even in the midst of that wandering situation, God blesses them and God provides for them. And yet they forget. Can you identify with that? There's so much that's going on in our world. And, and God has so blessed us even in the midst of the turmoil that goes on all around us. And sometimes we too forget the many blessings of God. I was thinking about that just this week and how generous this church is and how thankful even in the midst of of COVID that we've been able to provide for our missionary partners all around the world. We gave just this week we sent our quarterly thing in. We gave $7,000 to people in Laos and people in, in Honduras and people in India and people all over the globe, people in Phoenix who are going to go to Mal is it Malaysia at some point to work with the Roe people, and that, that's Alex and Cameron. And we gave people uh, money to people in Lubbock and money to people here in Denver City to start a church. And, and our ALC voted because of God has been blessing us. And we're $54,000 ahead of not the budget, but of our spending to this point in 2021. Folks, did you know? There's a pandemic going on, and God has blessed us to the point. Now, don't stop giving because we're in good shape, okay? I didn't say that. <laughs> Remember Patrick's sermon? I, I, you know, somebody asked me, to get Patrick, you got Patrick to do your dirty work? No, Patrick preached that sermon there. He preaches it over here too. And, and, and it's just faithfulness, tithing. And God has provided there. And this week, he allowed us to give to a church in this community. Templo Sinai on 15th Street, $10,000 because they need a roof. They've raised 15. They need 28. We gave them 10. Hey, guess what? That gives all of you an opportunity to raise, to, to give three. If you're interested in doing that, please uh, just make that check out to the church and tell them it's for that, that effort. We can raise that in no time, helping those people reach Hispanic people, Spanish-speaking pe people that... Hey, I don't speak a lot of Spanish. You know, I know burrito and enchilada and, and uh, those kind of... I don't know a lot, though. We don't reach them as well as they do. So it, that, I, I'm saying all that to say, remember the blessings. There's always something to thank the Lord for. God provided for them. Look in uh, Psalm 78. Hundreds of years later, the psalmist was writing about this very event God providing for them. And he said, he rained down manna from, for them to eat. 
He gave them the bread from heaven. They ate the food of angels. God gave them all they could hold in verses 24 and 25. Manna, it was great stuff, very flaky kind of stuff. And they, they asked themselves in awe and wonderment, what is it? That's what manna means. What is this good stuff? But after 38, 40 years of eating the manna, you know, I could just imagine a man coming home and saying, manna again, you know. We've had manna pudding, we've had manna cotty, we've had, you know, manna bread, manna in the morning, manna in the evening, manna in supper time, we had manna, manna. And she said, I, I know, I know, I boiled it, I baked it, I fried it, I, I don't know what else to do with this manna. But it was such good stuff that God called it the bread of heaven. And he provided for them. Now they're in the desert. What do they want? Well, he sent them some quail too. Can you imagine that? Psalm 78, 27. He rained down me to stick as dust, birds as plentiful as the sand on the seashore. Quail everywhere. Are you a quail hunter? Have you ever been quail hunting? You think about all the quail every, all over the place. You've seen that. I've done that. I love that. When I got sick with the COVID uh, back in December, somebody asked me, is there anything we can do? Yeah, I said, yeah, I want some fried quail. I was just joking at the time. But uh, Russell Alexander cooked me some fried quail. And J.D. shot that quail, I think, J.D. Milligan. I'm thankful for J.D. Milligan shooting. I love that quail, don't you? They had quail and manna, and God brought water from a rock. Yeah, what'd they do? Complain. Didn't pay anything for that. Didn't do anything for that. All they had to do was gather it. And they complained. Folks, do we ever do that? Kids, do you ever complain about what your mother fixes in the evening? Oh. And yet we are so blessed about all that from all that God has given us. And so we think, as we look at this story, that it's not very attractive for those of us who are blessed to complain. In fact, I think that's one of the chief things that keeps lost people from wanting to be saved people in and unchurched people from wanting to be church people, that they see church people sometimes, and I'm thankful this church is not like that. We are not a complaining church. We are a generous giving church. But it, I think at some point there has been a time when this church and all churches complains about stuff and makes sure we don't go there again. We are so, so blessed by what God has done. We give him honor and praise. And I'm reminded of what Dallas Willard, one of my spiritual gurus, heroes, said. It is the responsibility of every Christian to carve out such a soul-satisfying life under the loving rule of God that sin will not look good. We have a lot to be thankful for. So let's celebrate that. Because... Here's number two. Like them, look down at verse 6 or so in this passage, and you'll see verse 6 says this. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people as they were complaining, and many were bitten and died. And so he sends judgment. Ingratitude can bring the judgment 
of the Lord. I think that's pretty harsh, don't you? You see how serious it is to the Lord that we be grateful for the many blessings that He has provided for us. And as we think about what's going on in this situation, we know that there is a limit to God's patience with us. Numbers 13 and 14 talks about how God is, is slow to anger and patient and forgiving and kind, but He will not allow the guilty to go free. There's a limit to His patience. And every time He brings judgment, like He does here with the serpents, with these fiery serpents, it's a it's really an act of mercy. Every time you face something and you know it's the consequence of your sin, it's to keep you from doing that again, to keep you from experiencing that pain again. Because let's face it, folks, we as human beings, we don't change when we see the light and it comes on in here. We change when we feel the heat and we feel the pain of what's going on in our lives. And that's what happens with these snakes. And God's judgment is an act of mercy to keep us from the ultimate judgment of hell. Separation from Him for all time. Think about it. People don't like to talk about hell very much anymore. But don't they anyway? They say it's, it's, it's hotter than hell or she's hell to live with or he's hell to live with or they, they, they think about, we think about... Uh, Ah, uh, I don't know, uh, come hell or high water. People talk about that, and they're not often talking about the eternal separation from God because what happens with our sin is either it's covered by the blood of Jesus, good, or it's punished eternally in hell, not good. So as we think about what's going on here, we've got to think about what's going on here too with us. What's going on inside of us and how we need to deal with the things that God is, is bringing about in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own sin. And so verse 7 is a, is a kind of a formula, not really a follow this and do it exactly this way, but it's a, an example of how we follow of what God has called us to do. Then the people came to Moses after they felt the pain and the hurt of the serpents and they were dying and they cried out. First and foremost, they cried out, we have sinned. They admit it. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses does what Moses do, does several times in the Pentateuch. He prays for the people. He intercedes for the people. So they have conviction of their sin, and then they confess it. And then they have this contrition about them. This humbleness about them. This understanding in them that they can't do anything to save themselves. They need help. And that's what it takes. You've got to come to a point where you realize, I know that I'm far from God. 
I know how dark my heart is. And I need help. Rembrandt is a famous painter known for the, his use of, of light. But Rembrandt's secret is that he knows how to, to darken the canvas so that the brilliance of the light stands out. Now, that's what I want to do for just a moment. I want you to see, really, how dark we all are. Because we come to this place and we think, hey, hey, we're in church. We're pretty good people. And we're law-abiding citizens. I mean, you know, tax day got extended to May 17th so we can, we can make sure we get them paid on time this year. And, and we pay our taxes and, and we try to help where we can and we do this and we do that. But here's, just for a minute, I want you to take a little quiz with me. And we've done this before just to remind ourselves how dark we are so that we can see the brilliance of the light because our world for sure is dark and the darker the night, the brighter the light. So will you take it with me for just a moment? We're going to walk through the Ten Commandments, if we could get to that part. Uh, the third point is this, if you want that. The Lord's judgment leads us to repentance and to seek help. And then after that, I want you to walk with me. So just for a minute, all of our laws are based, really, in this country on the Ten Commandments. At some, in some form or fashion. So walk with me here. And see if you know them, for one. And then keep a little tally. We're going we're gonna to grade you, okay? Ten. So you know you need seven to pass. All right? Seven. That's all you need is seven. Stay with me. First and foremost, uh, have no other God before you. You must not have any other God but me. So have you ever placed anything in your life above the one true God? Any affection, attention, devotion above Him? Have you always served Him and Him alone completely? If you have, give yourself a point. But if, if there's ever been a day when you put yourself above God and let I'm just going to let you know, I get an O, no, zero on that one. Number two, don't make for yourself an idol. Now, there was a mistake in that. It said you must make yourself an idol before, but we put the not in there because that's what the commandment is. You must not make yourself an idol. That, what that's all about is making God in your own image instead of Realizing that you're made in the image of God. And don't have any graven image. Now, I've never created anything because I'm not really creative from wood or from stone or from bronze that I worshipped. But an idol's more than that, right? An idol's anything that comes between us and God and anything that we uh, give more attention and affection and direction to or any way that we have made God in our own image. Do we do that sometimes with people and sometimes with with other objects where we want God to be a certain way and we uh, portray that onto somebody else. If you've never made for yourself an idol, give yourself a check. You get a point. But if you have at any point, if anything's ever come between you and God, sorry. Third, 
Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's more than just not ever cussing in that way. It's all about whether you live what you say you live. If you've ever claimed the name of Christian and not acted Christian, not kept it Christian in your life, then you get it. If you've always done that, then give yourself a check for. We'll walk through these a, a little faster. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's not always about church attendance. That's about giving God the first and foremost in your heart and your life. That's about rest. That's about doing things God's way. If you've ever worked seven days a week and never rested and never worshipped and never given God your first fruits, then you get a zero. If you've always done that, check. Third, or the fifth thing is honor your father and mother. You've tried to do that. But have you ever sassed your mom? Ever sat? Oh, I saw some frowns over there by those little girls right there. Oh. You ever talk back? Or you never, uh, you didn't obey her the first time willingly? Or your dad? Ooh, that's an easy one to mark X on, isn't it? I saw those parents too, you know? Sixth thing here, oh, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not kill. That's an easy one, right? We get a point for that one. Except Jesus says if you've ever hated someone so much that you wish they were dead or you ever wish they were removed, he, he kind of messes that one up for us. And the second one, or the next one too, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, I've never been unfaithful to my spouse, but then he, then he puts it in. Some of you think, I'm, I'm single. I've, I got that one. I've, but what he says is if you've ever lusted in your heart, then you're guilty of committing adultery as well. Gosh, Jesus, why do you make it so hard? Eight, thou shalt not steal. Now, a lot of people in this place probably never stolen from other, anyone else, but have you ever taken credit that wasn't yours? Somebody made you looked a little better. Somebody made you look good, and you let them believe it was you and not them. Or you ever stolen someone's reputation with gossip? Or you, There's a lot of ways to... Look at that. Check or X. Thou shalt not bear false witness and shouldn't lie. <laughs> Do I need to even explain that one? I mean, have we all violated that one at some point or another? And the last one is thou shalt not covet. Do you, have you ever wished you had somebody else's wife or life or any possession that they might have had? Really wish that in your heart? So there's 10 right there, okay? I want to tell you, please don't Fire me as your pastor. I got a zero. A zero. Now, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because I wanted you to know how much better you are than me. No. Because I wanted all of us to see how dark we are. And even if we don't see ourselves as grumblers and complainers and sinning in that way, we all have situations. We all know... That even in our holiness, we're not very holy. Even in our goodness, we're not very good. So I'm going to leave you there with all of that? No. Because even there, there's grace. Even when we recognize and realize our sin, there's grace. 
And that's the fourth point. You look and you live. And that's what I want to make the connection there with the New Testament. So he puts this snake on a stick. And it's, it's not religious ointment that's going to save them. It, it's not some snake oil good works that's going to save, save them. It's this snake on a stick. And we don't really understand all the connection to this replica of a snake to saving people who are dying from snake bites. I mean, we think, let's get them to a hospital. Let's get them uh, some anti-venom or let's do something of that nature. But we're talking about two to four million people in a 12-mile square area. The hospitals, if there were any, would be overrun for sure. There's no way that salvation is going to come to this group of God's people that way. All he's asking, though, is that they look. All they need to do is look at this snake on a stick, and they'll be healed. Do you get it? Because if you don't get it, you're not alone. A lot of folks don't get it. You mean, all I need to do is look? The sin crucified on a cross for me? That symbol? That reality? What Jesus has done for me? And the answer is yes. You see, there was a religious leader in John 3 that had a hard time understanding a lot of things, but he got this. And Jesus didn't give up on him. Remember his name, Nicodemus? who came, comes to Jesus at night in John 3, and G Nicodemus says, Jesus, we know you've come from God. You can't do these miracles unless God is with you. And so Jesus doesn't even wait for him to ask a question. He just says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't get it. He said, you mean i got to go back in my mother's womb? How in the world can I do that? You mean Mrs. Nicodemus, Mama Nicodemus is going to come out and say, well, a 250-pound baby boy or something like that? How does that happen? He doesn't understand. So Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, you don't understand. It's like the wind. You've got to be born of the water and the spirit. It's like the wind. It's mysterious. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. And it's, by that, Jesus is telling him, it's the spirit of God that saves you. It's the spirit of God that changes you. But he doesn't get that either. And so he comes to this story. And in John 3, 14 and 15, here's the words. The, the context of John 3.16 is Nicodemus' story. Is, are these words, remember John 3.16, we know it. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the New International Version. Some of you learned it in King James. So I want to give you a chance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the context of John 3, 14 and 15. I want you to see on the screen right now. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, who knew Numbers 21 like the back of his hand. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. You see? 
how the Old Testament and the New Testament connect. You see, Jesus draws on that, and he tells Nicodemus, that snake is me. I'm going to become sin. Be lifted up on that pole, that cross. And you look and live. You look and live. A lot of people would say, well, I'm not that sick. I'm not that snake bit yet. When I get a little sicker, I'm going to look. Or some people say, I'm way past that. Let me get a little better. Let me get a little uh, healed, a little well, and then I'll look. Some people say, no, I don't understand all this bronze snake stuff. Let me understand it, and then I'll look. But all he's saying is just look. Jesus saves you. You can't save yourself. Just look. And it's time for some of the people in this place, some young people and some children, to make a public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it's time for others of us who've done that long ago to know how Simple it is. He doesn't leave us as we are, but he accepts us just as we are. Sometimes people think, well, Jesus is a crutch. Yeah, he is. We better all lean on him. But he's more than a crutch. He's the stretcher. Because none of us are going to limp into heaven on a crutch without Jesus. The only way we get there, and the only way we have abundant life here and now, in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is by looking, by turning our eyes upon Jesus. So I invite you to do that right now. Let's pray together. And as we pray together, I, I'm asking if, if that's you, you need to do that. Why are you waiting? I see, I, I, I can't imagine people in that camp who were dying of snake bites not looking, but there were some. They didn't look. There were some little children whose mothers begged them to look who didn't look. There were some fathers and mothers who, for whatever reason, didn't look. I, and I can't understand in my mind and heart, knowing the goodness of God, why, who people, why people don't accept the great gift of salvation that God has provided. Why don't we choose Him? I don't understand that. But that may be you. And I'm saying just look. Just turn to Him today. As we sing this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Would you do it? Would you cross that line of faith? Say, I'm in. I choose Jesus. Would you admit you're a sinner? Believe he died on the cross for your sin individually and look. Choose him today. Father, I pray for the people in this place, for the young people, for the graduating seniors, for the everybody down in, in the student pecking order not made a public profession of faith have not taken the next step of baptism who understand with their minds to understand with their hearts and believe 
put their faith in you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be free and that people would have the courage to respond to what you're calling them to do right now. Not wait, not do it eventually, not think about anything but now and giving themselves back to you. I pray it in your strong, strong name, Jesus. Amen.